The following Dharma talk was given at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota. So it's nice to be here today, and uh, I'm sure I'm not breaking any news that uh, this area of speech is a place where we have suffered a lot in our lives. And uh, I remember, I think it maybe it was Sylvia Borstein who said a long time ago in one of her programs, you know, she would ask people, raise your hands if your heart still hurts because of some words that were spoken to you or you spoke from the last week. And of course, most of us would raise our hands still hurting from words spoken, you know, a month ago or a year ago or 10 years ago. Or you might remember words spoken 50 years ago, some of you, some of us. Um, that when we when they come to mind, it hurts. And so, even though a lot of the work we do in this um, Buddhist path of awakening is refined or subtle, internal, so much of the <clears throat> suffering, direct suffering we experience, is that internal stuff getting acted out in this very ordinary world of human interactions with our loved ones, at our work scenes, in our communities that we inhabit. We're just stepping on each other's toes all the time in, in those places. And of course, the more we get hurt, the more we get confused by the pain of that hurt. And then when we're confused by the pain of the hurt, you know, this is the great heart-opening tragedy, that when we see it, it really tenderizes and opens our heart. Because when we're hurting, strangely enough, we want to hurt other people. You know, it's just, I don't know, we normally don't let ourselves see that in a really direct way, that when we're hurting, we want other people to hurt. But we can see it better in other people. You know, when somebody's really hurting, they start acting in ways that cause other people to hurt. And then once we start to see that more and more in the different you know, circles, different communities we inhabit, the more we really understand why, why the world is the way that it is and how we, each of us, have to take responsibility. And that's why we're here, I think, all of us. I, I think speaking for Wynn, certainly speaking for myself, <laughs> we're here. <laughs> Because it isn't, it isn't easy having a mind. It isn't easy being a human being. And it's especially difficult being a human being and having to interact with other human beings. Right? <laughs> you know, a lot, of, uh, a lot of times we kind of pick up on the, the vibe or the general tone of the Buddhist tradition of having, really emphasizing times of seclusion, you know, where we're not around other people. Sitting quietly in the morning, for example, having your morning meditation or going away for a retreat like we're doing here today. I mean, this is more of an engaged workshop where we'll be sharing with each other, but still it's relatively simple compared to our normal environment. And this is the, this seclusion is the easy work. We 
seclude ourselves because it's a little bit easier to see the dynamics of our heart and mind and how we set emotion, suffering, stress, how we act out, self-hatred, hatred and irritation with others, how we set emotion, these cycles of suffering. It's not so easy to see it out in our interactions because we're, like I mentioned a moment ago, we're hurting a lot and we're confused by the hurt and even anticipating you're going to say something that's going to hurt my feelings is hurtful, is stressful, right? Even if you haven't yet figured out how to hurt my feelings, just the thought that you might hurt my feelings or what you might be thinking about me, let alone what people have thought about me or said about me in the past or what might happen in the future. All of that makes us tight. All of that distorts our clarity. All of that tightness and lack of clarity makes it easier to step on other people's toes when we speak, you know, shoot out our little barbs or... And again, causing harm isn't just because we speak. Sometimes we cause harm harm because we're not speaking. So all of this work, you know, is just part of the wider tradition that the Buddha laid out for us. It's just, I call it basic human common sense, which is if we're willing to stabilize present moment awareness, if we're willing to become sensitive human beings, even to the nth degree, right? That stable, sensitive, clear presence inevitably purifies our view, our understanding. It purifies how we take care of our own mind, how we keep the mind balanced. And that stable awareness purifies, in the case of this workshop today, how we interact with others, how we act in the world. And this is the path that the Buddha lays out for human beings, right? Based on this engine, this kind of spiritual engine of a stable present moment awareness, we purify the underlying views or attitudes in our mind. We purify how our mind falls into habits of distraction. And we purify how we are with each other, how we relate, how we speak to each other. So in this way, that stable present moment awareness is really the active agent of purification. purification purifying views, purifying the mind of distraction, and purifying our action of meanness, you know, hatefulness, fear. Remember, one often undiagnosed aspect of hatred, I mean, there's self-hatred, there's hatred of others, but there's this other category that falls under hate, which is one of the main causes of stress and pain and suffering, which is fear. Right? So depending on each of our personality types, you may be a hot type and you strike out with your aversion. You might be a cool type and you close down, shut up, stop speaking with your... So your hate expresses itself as fear. Other people's hate, we might express it as sort of barbs, you know, where we say something or we 
more in a more common sense, or, or not common sense, but in a more obvious way, we act out in ways that we would call, you know, or that person's mean, or that person's aggressive, or that person is mean-spirited. So I wanted to start with this passage from one of Sylvia Borstein's books, Pay Attention for Goodness Sake. And it's her book on the 10 paramis. Some of you know this list in the Buddhist tradition, the 10 beautiful qualities of the heart. These are, you know, again, it's nothing particular to Buddhism. It's just about being a, kind of a together human being that we would honor quali- qualities like generosity and kindness and equanimity and patience and truthfulness and resoluteness and equanimity and renunciation and I'm forgetting one and this you know this commitment to wise action right and wise speech skillful speech is really one of the most obvious expressions of right action or acting in ways that doesn't set emotion suffering in our own heart and around us and in the, in the wider world. So she writes in this book, the practice of truthfulness develops the habit of disclosing by discovering what is true and telling the truth in ways that are helpful. Practicing wise mindfulness, wise speech, the mind clarifying and speech guiding aspects of the Four Noble Truths. And is supported by experiencing, this is the part I like, and is supported by the experiencing of the discomforting isolation of guile, separation from self and others. Because that's our feedback loop. When we start to feel the uncomfortable feeling of guile, when we're, and we do this all the time, this is not like unusual moments, like maybe once every few days. All the time, in our words, in our body language, there's a kind of guile or an attempt to manipulate. We're always involved in power. Whether we understand it or not, we're trying to have a place, we're trying to be heard, we want to be seen. We're always in this world, and it's not like bad to be in this world. This is just the world of human interactions, right? Like when we see dogs greeting each other in the dog park and deciding who's top dog and who's not. We see this all the time in the animal world. Well, this is our animal world, you know, in our families, in our work scenes, at home, with our partners, you know, in the wider world. So she says again, and is supported by experiencing the discomforting isolation of guile and then in parentheses, separation from self and others, and the ease and peace of candor, the third noble truth, right? The release of that guile. That's what she means by candor. When we're authentic, when we're being real, when we're being honest about what we're feeling, about what our needs are, we're coming from that place and we're recognizing that person probably has needs too. So this is the whole world. In Buddhism, we call it sila, but this basic and hopefully in our practice deepening value around not harming, not harming ourselves and others. 
somehow existing in this messy world of relationships, cultivating a value of not harming each other, not scaring each other. And this is like in the context of being beasts, animals, in a world where some people have a lot and other people don't have a lot, in this world of cultural conditioning where we're afraid, we've been conditioned to be afraid of people who are different than us by culture, by skin color, by gender, by, you know, whatever, youth, age, any way that our mind can construe difference, we either feel, you know, threatened by it or we just don't see it or, I mean, any number of ways that has a distorting effect in the mind. And she ends this statement about this commitment to truthfulness coming out of this deepening value of not harming <clears throat> and manifests as intimacy. Right? That's <clears throat> this commitment to truthfulness and in particular today in terms of our speech manifesting as intimacy. So I wanted to just in terms of creating a context for the work on right speech. Just mention, a lot of you know this about the Buddha's path, you know, that he laid out this common sense path of waking up, of stabilizing awareness, using awareness to purify the wisdom, to purify just the distractedness of the mind, to purify our actions in the world. He names three intentions, right? So as we do that work of using stable present moment awareness or stable, kind present moment awareness, and we're purifying our underlying views, we're purifying the mind of its distractedness and superficiality, and we're uh, purifying our actions of meanness, you know, thinking that manipulating each other leads somewhere leads to a world we want to live in. And then he names that in that work of purification, three intentions start to stand out for us. So this will be good just context as we hear and reflect in small groups and large groups around why speech. And to imagine living our life in this complicated, messy world with only these three motive forces, these three intentions. Right? So instead of relying on greed to get us through the day or fear and aversion to get us through the day or distraction and denial. Because, I mean, truthfully, this is kind of what we rely on. Like when I spend more time than I need on the Internet watching this or that, I'm relying, I'm thinking that somehow getting absorbed and getting distracted is going to help me through the day or through my life. I mean, I get it, I do it. But I try not to believe that. I'm doing it because of the force of habit, because it feels good temporarily to get absorbed into a book or this or that, to avoid. Let alone when we rely on fear and aversion and irritation and outright hatred and power plays, or rely on greed trying to have something nice, trying to hold on to it, trying to fix things so it's just the way we want it. So he says that the motivations of renunciation, letting go, generosity, the motivation of 
kindness and the motivation of compassion or non-harming, that these motive forces are all we need. Now just imagine if our speech or moments of not speaking always arose out of these three motivations, the intention to let go, the intention to be content, the intention to not be stingy, to give, the intention to be kind to ourself, the intention to be caring and supportive, healing, wanting to take care of, compassion, right? And with those three intentions, it really builds what the Buddha calls the guardians of the world, the guardians of our heart. Here, Otapara, the Pali word, some of you might recognize, but this is this, like how all of our mistakes informs the present moment. So we call it wise or wholesome regret, wise, wholesome concern, or even fear in a wholesome sense. Because right? isn't it true as human beings, having made a lot of mistakes, and in a little bit we'll have small groups after Wynn speaks, and you can share about some of these mistakes around, around speech in your own life and what you learned and what kind of views and actions and qualities of mind, attitudes of mind were there that supported causing harm for self and others. Or maybe you share in your small groups moments of skillful speech, healing speech, kind speech, wise speech, speech that brought clarity to something, allowed a disentangling in some relationship. So what attitudes were there? What view was there? What words were there that allowed for that healing and that clarity and that disentangling that happened in those places in your life? And it's the, these guardians of wholesome regret and wholesome concern that help us remember to pay attention. Because, like I mentioned earlier, we know how easy it is to cause harm. So whenever we enter a meeting or an interaction with a family member or even a casual relationship at the checkout line, you know, it's just so easy to um, be acting with distractedness and denial, superficiality. That's one of the unwholesome intentions, right? Or fear, anger, irritation, or greed. And unbeknownst, I mean, it's not like we on the surface are thinking, I want to cause harm. I want to set emotion suffering. But there we do. I mean, almost always in the moment, it doesn't seem like we're doing something unskillful until, you know, it's out of our mouth. And then we realize, oh my God, or that somebody else lets us know, oh my God, <laughs> you just said that? And it makes sense then, you know, when, you un- when we understand, when we begin to appreciate this voice of conscience, you know, this coming out of this deepening sensitivity, it's really an exposure. We're, we're willing to feel more and more exposed in our lives. 
precisely because it helps us be more skillful. That it means we're going to feel what we feel. Right? And we're going to, I mean, this is like so interesting and just in terms of taking this seat, you know, where we're come up in the front of this room and we talk about, you know, the Buddhist teachings and we talk about being more skillful in life. And it's a real setup because it's impossible to do perfectly. And then afterward, or even in the moment, as soon as you say something and it wasn't quite right, felt off. A lot of you who are teachers in your own world or parents, you know this feeling where you've said something, you wanted to be the good mother or good father or whatever, but you know your own aversion, your own irritation leaked through or your own greed to kind of get on to do what you want to do leaks through. And you end up dumping on your partner, on one of your children, on your students or whatever it might be. And because we've been cultivating the sensitivity, these two guardians really are based on that sensitivity. This is what conscience is all about. We're willing to be grounded enough in our lives, willing to be raw and exposed enough that when we act in ways that cause ourselves and others harm, we can't help but feel yucky. Oh. And we won't initially know what we did. All we'll know is something hurts. <laughs> you know, okay, what did I say? And we know that if the hurt is here, this is like part of the sensitivity. If our heart feels yucky, if we're following this path, this is shocking, and you don't have to believe me, you can just check it out. If this heart hurts, it doesn't mean that everybody else has been skillful or that they've been unskillful. The point is if our heart hurts right now, we have a responsibility. We're part of the reason this heart is hurting. Because it's just too easy to think I'm hurting because somebody else did something to me. That may be true. Probably it is true. <laughs> you know that those around us are imperfect human beings. That shouldn't shock us. But first and foremost, we need to be responsible. This heart hurts. What can I learn from it? And it might be that you didn't say something that needed to be said. You didn't take care of yourself in a way that you needed to take care of yourself. Or maybe that you said something that was off. And now there's regret. There's that wholesome regret. Well, you didn't listen to that wholesome fear, that wholesome concern that said, honey, don't let this happen. Do something. Say something. But you were afraid. And now there's a yucky feeling. So this is, again, will really help you in the small groups to, to notice the, these two guardians and to trust. And remember, this kind of feeling information is different than like when we have a clear idea, oh, this, I should do this, I should say that. There's this whole realm of emotional intelligence that is felt. And it is just as useful, maybe more useful, in terms of being a skillful, happy, kind human being than the kind of information we get from thinking things through rationally. To trust this rawness of the heart, but we have to be willing to feel what we feel. Right? We have to cultivate the stable present moment awareness, which means we're going to feel what we feel. And it will always be messy. It's not, it's like, it's like uh, those, uh, 
you know, these kind of stories we have about the olden days where people had these oracles, you know, whether they looked into a pool of water in the forest or they had, you know, some magic ball or they, you know, went inside or whatever, but it's always murky. It's not like there's like a clearly written, you know, do this and then do this and then do this. It's never like that. You know, any of you who've used oracles or (laughs) intuition, right, you never get all the steps clearly laid out. You get a feeling, you know, I think I need to make a change. I think something's off here. I feel moved to do this, but I don't know where it goes, right? I feel that this part of my life is over. And this is this whole realm of, you know, emotional wisdom, intuition. And in Buddhism, we call, them, we call it these two guardians of wholesome regret, like, oh, something, something, something I did, it doesn't feel good. And instead of thinking I have to bury that, I'm going to kind of make it a temple, like, honey, don't forget that, right? Because that's good information, when you start living in a way that's similar to this yucky feeling, this will be a little light in the dark, like, be careful here. And that's the wholesome fear. That's, so they go together, the regret. Then when we get in the same vicinity where something similar might happen, where there's that wholesome regret, then there's a wholesome fear or concern, like, oh yeah, you're close to the ledge, Right? There is this particular power dynamic in this relationship. Pay attention. You're in the vicinity of causing yourself and others harm. Pay attention here. Be humble. Right? You're inclined to make mistakes. Right? Because of that huge force of cultural conditioning and genetic conditioning, like I said, you know, not only do we have our very, very imperfect cultural conditioning, We also have millions and millions of years of genetic conditioning around difference, around sort of tribalism, you know, where we trust our clan, people who, you know, we've been around, who we know have our back. And so anybody who's sort of not that, we don't get the right cues from, then they're a threat. So we have all that conditioning, and yet we live in this huge interdependent world, especially nowadays in urban settings, you know, where we're totally interacting with people we don't know well. So easy to act out the sort of impulses that we have no control over. They're there because of our cultural and genetic conditioning. So what are we going to do about them? Maybe I'll leave it here so that we have a little time. Maybe I'll just share this last quote. And then uh, we'll do just take 10 minutes or so with some question and answers. Um, and this is from Thich Nhat Hanh. If you don't want to be changed, don't go into dialogue. <laughs> <laughs>
So remember with the mic, so this large group discussion, we'll use this mic, handheld mic. Point it like this, horizontal, close to your mouth so we can all hear each other. And we are recording today's session. So we have about 10 minutes. It would be nice to hear from a few people. So the opening discussion that I started now is just looking at this general commitment to non-harming and the importance of safety in order to do the work we're going to do together in this workshop, but just generally this work of relating with each other you know, in this imperfect world. Questions you have, comments from your own practice that you'd like to share with the group? Yeah, Bela. Thanks. Um, will you say the three intentions again? Because I have letting go and kindness and compassion, but what's mm -hmm. the second one? No, that's letting go is, there's, there's really not one word. So it's letting go, it's renunciation, it's contentment, it's generosity. That's the first one. Usually it's called renunciation in the formal lists. But, you know, we have this idea of renunciation as sacrifice, but it's really a joyful intention, like that we can let go, that we can be generous, that we are content, we do feel full, so we can be generous. And then, and then kindness is usually second. They're, they sort of flow like when we feel the fullness, the joy of renunciation, right, then we can be kind. It's not when we're needy and frightened and angry, it's not really possible. But when we touch to the joy of renunciation and contentment, we can be kind. When we realize that we can be kind to ourselves, we realize that other people are in the same boat and we have compassion. We want to do what we can. We want to respond. Mm -hmm. Other thoughts from your practice or questions that come to mind? Yeah, Spruce, want to do this one? Something I've been thinking a lot about regarding communication is when there's like a power difference, like in the healing work I do. I mean, I could pretty much tell my clients almost anything, and they really trust me, and they would go out and do a lot of it. But it's not just professionally. And I don't, I don't have a question, but I would love for you to reflect about that skillful ways when it's obvious there is a power difference and how to negotiate that in a skillful way. Yeah, and I think when and I, as we go through the workshop today, there will be times we'll be bringing this up, especially at the end when we, for the last hour between 12 and 1, you know, really looking at a more positive view instead of, naming and talking about like the problems around right wise speech but to really imagine skillfully negotiating these sticky places like power but but one just a, a short answer right now that we'll keep coming back to and i know a lot of you have done work um the nonviolent communication work but one of the principles there that's really i think central to this is understanding, like keeping it right in the front, understanding that we always have needs and whoever we're interacting with, they always have needs. And the question is, do I know what needs I have? And am, am I stable enough? Am I human enough 
to acknowledge that this other person has needs? And do they know I know their needs? How can I let them know I know their needs? And that really kind of shifts the power hierarchy if we're all human beings with needs here. The guy, person in charge has needs, you know, the low, whatever. They have. But when we, in that circle, you know, in that environment, know that we all have needs and know that the other person knows my needs and they know I know their needs. It's kind of a leveling force. And we can learn, you know, like nonviolent communication, this movement, psychological or social movement that's been around now, started by Marshall Rosenberg. Um, it really is, this is so central to what this whole dynamic that he teaches. I mean, it's more complicated. But it's really based on understanding that we have needs. On this level, we're not liberated human beings. We're a beast that wants to survive. We're a social animal that wants to survive, not just physically survive, but survive psychologically, feel like we belong, feel like we have a place, feel like we're heard. And yet we have to organize and run all of this you know, in some coherent way. Talk about a setup. So to acknowledge that we enter that with a lot of needs, that we all have needs, to start talking about that. Yeah, thanks, Bruce. What else comes to mind that you'd like to bring up right at the beginning this morning? Yeah, Sharon. Comments or questions? I come from a background where uh, that... Uh, growing up in a family where there was a lot of harmful speech. And um, as a result of that, I had to put a lot of layers over me in order to protect myself. Today, I am very different. And through this practice, uh, I have uh, been able to shed those layers and cultivate more skillful ways of speaking and skillful relationships. What I notice is that there is a lot of hateful, harmful speech today. You just have to flip a cable TV on. And uh, what passes for, for dialogue, uh, I, can't, I, I absolutely can't tolerate it. And, and what, what that says to me is once upon a time that would have been normal. I wouldn't have... I wouldn't have noticed because that's how everyone was when I was growing up. Today I'm very different, so I can celebrate that difference, but that doesn't mean that I've got it conquered. That means that I have developed a conscience. What a beautiful word. Yeah. I've developed a conscience that was there all the time, and uh, I'm, um, so I'm, offering, um, perhaps revealing to myself some insight as to why I have such an aversion to what passes for dialogue today. Yeah. So then, then you probably get, know this, but generally we develop the conscience first where it feels safe, right? Where we're, it feels safe to be sensitive. And then think about bringing that sensitivity, that rawness, that conscience into more toxic environments you know first start with the news 
where you can turn the volume up and down, you know, or shut it, mute it when, when you're losing it. But then into difficult conversations, um, because we have to have these, and we need people that aren't going to be triggered, aren't going to be drawn in to the toxic circles, because it's really hard for that toxic toxicity to spin when there's somebody present who's not confused by it, who basically, like I was saying to Spruce, is grounded enough in their own wise and kind presence that all they see, it doesn't matter how provocative people's terms are or how manipulative people are with truth, all, people, all a wise person sees is people have needs here. I have needs, you have needs, everyone. And it's just like they, we do that translation. It doesn't matter how harsh or inappropriate the person's words or tone. We just see a human being with needs. You know, and the wise, they're just people with needs. Everyone's just people with needs. And that, that's really, uh, that's a powerful presence if we can be that. I, I don't think it's easy. I can't do it, but I aspire to doing that. We have time for one last comment. Yeah, Marcy, and then we'll transition. So years ago, I uh, worked in a business, and I had to make a decision about someone leaving the department I was part of. And they still had a job, but were very upset and... um, did very unkind speech and uh, stories. Um, And I was told about it, um, that she was saying these things, but I just, I felt, you know, it was hard for me to believe anybody would believe her. Um, So um, I did, though, feel that um you know i didn't i didn't want to create a scene or i i didn't address it and when i had an opportunity to leave the company i left um so uh i i'm and and i think i follow that pattern i you know without any confrontation and and now you know the idea that there is so much fear-mongering. And I learned a new word last week. It was fact-mongering. And, you know, I, I wonder about, you know, do we, do we, you know, what do we do? Do we, do we, should we become fact mongers? Yeah, well, that's a question just to keep reflecting on. And what one thought comes to mind, Marcy, is if we, if we always do one pattern, like walk away from the messiness, sometimes it's good to make sure we are making mistakes at both ends. So making the mistake of leaving maybe before we should leave, but make sure you make the mistake of staying longer than you should stay and speaking up, you know, just to, so you understand where that edge is between, oh, no, I should have left long ago. Because how do we know what the skillful thing is unless we 
are willing to make mistakes at both ends, you know, assuming it's a dual thing like that, like staying too long, leaving too early. And, and it's interesting that it, it does seem to me that when I have confronted situations like that, where someone has said something or done something, I, I do tend to depart. But I think that the places that I have moved to have been more nurturing. And then that's the, play, that's the role of conscience. Like, if there was something off in your choices, either you're not sensitive or it's not there. So get as sensitive as you can be and see if there's any unfinished business about having left. If there's not any unfinished business, either you're not sensitive enough to sense the subtle unfinished business or there's no unfinished business and maybe it was skillful. We just have to trust. I mean, this is like, because otherwise it's not about thinking, like, did I do the right thing? I mean, there's a little bit of a role for that. But it's more about actually seeing if there's unfinished business. Yeah. Let's leave it here. Maybe just take a short stretch break, but stay in the room. We'll have a longer break after the small groups, but Wynn's going to share a little bit in a moment. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.